stand and let's read from here. Last week, um, God said it was all done. And uh, from 17 to 19, he's going to fill in some additional information. John writes, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I'll show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. Notice she's beautiful. Adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. So you look at what she has in her hand. Having in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And Father, this morning... Would you just bless our time this morning, please? Lord, that we would allow your word to settle and it would produce fruit in our lives that others could partake of. So Lord, quiet the thoughts. Lord, help us to focus. Lord, help us to hear. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In this chapter before us this morning, we're going to get an insider look as to this counterfeit religious system that Satan has been after ever since the fall of mankind. And we're going to see there is a coming world religion that is going to exalt man and minimize God. Boy, does that sound familiar today? There's a coming system that's going to exalt man and minimize God. God over the entire earth. It will be the devil's finest hour. Now, this is fact. The church of Jesus Christ today does not have to apologize for being exclusive because Jesus Christ said that he is the only way. Amen? Amen. We need to know that. Your kids need to know that today. And here's why. I'm going to start making the case for this. When your kids go to school, where do they learn history? At the school. Where do they learn about geology and geography? Where do they learn about anthropology and all that other stuff that ends with ology? At the school. And is the school espousing truth or lies? So parents, if we're not instilling the truth into our kids, then an ungodly secular system is instilling the truth of all of these things that you and I hold dear But if we're not instilling them into the kids, we are not preparing them for what awaits them. The lukewarm parts of the Christian church today, they want to make Christianity inclusive. They want all Christians everywhere to unite with people of faith, and they want us to endorse all religions. But team, we cannot do that, amen? Oh, we cannot endorse all religions and unite with them, amen? There has to be a little passion here because it's happening. So parents and grandparents. I was in a conversation a couple weeks ago with some grandparents, and it's like, you know, it just seems like the parents are too busy, and we're having to instill these things into our kids. Well, great. God bless you. Someone has to. It's critical. Now, this lukewarm way of thinking is not new today. It has been around in many churches and universities for a long time. But one day with the devil orchestrating this entire lukewarm system will take over the entire world. That is fact. We see that happening in our lifetime, but we read about it in God's Word. Today in this chapter, the system gets detailed out as to why it was judged by God. Excuse me. So be aware. As people seek to move away today from the blood of Jesus, they move away from sin and repentance and the cross, and they want to make the system a little more humanistic and a lot less bloody in its approach. That's what they want to do. But what happens when you do that, when you move away from or you add to the blood of Jesus, you weaken the blood of Jesus, which then causes you to endorse more of man's religious ideas, more of man's made-up things, and all of a sudden, that fake truth is blended with the Bible, and it's twisted to man's liking, 
and the church falls even farther away. We saw last week in chapter 16 and weeks 14, or we saw last week in chapter 16 and weeks before in chapter 14, the fall of Babylon. And now in chapter 17 and next week in chapter 18, that Babylonian system is going to be all detailed out to us because God wants us to know. So chronologically, chapter 16 is the last chapter. Chapter 16 should actually be chapter 19 or chapter 20. But before chapter 16 comes to a close, chapter 17, 18, and 19 will happen. So we're getting additional information before the end is here. Verse 1, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls. So notice, John recognizes this guy. Hey, that's one of the guys that had one of the seven last bulls. And he came and talked with me, saying to me, come. I'll show you, please underline this, the judgment of the great harlot. Because when we get all, all done, God's the one that's going to judge it. It says so in this chapter. If you've read ahead, you know it's there. And I'll show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. We saw our judge last week, but now all of a sudden we're going to see, we're going to kind of like peel back the veil and be able to look right in here. Harlotry is synonymous with idolatry. So please, don't think hooker, don't think prostitute. That's not what's going on here. Think false gods and idols that stand on their own or get blended in to Christianity today. Jesus said multiple times, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will you give? Well, obviously, people in the church will give something because in the last days, it says there'll be a great falling away from the faith. If you are falling away from something, that means you had to have been there. You're not falling. No, it says you'll be falling away. It's going to happen. So what do those people give in exchange for their soul as they fall away? We can't fall away. I trust that none of us have a price that we would be willing to pay to walk away from the solid truth of Jesus and blend it with others just for the sake of being, well, let's just make it palpable and let's just get along and sing kumbaya with one another. Can't do that. The woman described here in verse 1 is called a harlot four times in this chapter. And even though the bride of Christ, those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone as the master of their life, are safely tucked away in heaven at this time, the structures, the systems, and the stuff that religion is referred to as the great harlot here still remains relatively intact. Matter of fact, when the church raptures out, that system's going to kind of fill in the void. So something's going to shake the world that's going to cause all of the world's religions to unite under one name. And my thought is that the rapture of the true church will take place, and then all the religions are going to come together. Because the thinking today is if we can get rid of the Christians, then we're going to be in good shape, because they're so exclusive. They're always dividing. No, we're not. We're loving. At least if we're true Christians are, we're loving. We're welcoming. We want you to be a part. But no, we can't embrace your weird theology. It's not godly. It's dependent upon man. Christianity is dependent upon God. We can't embrace that. Now, we're not going to look down upon what you believe. Hey, you can believe that, but at the same time, we understand that you're deceived, and we're going to speak truth to you. But we're not going to embrace that. The day the church embraces the lie and wants to bring the lie in and get them side by side is the day the church is in big trouble. Some will have knowledge of Jesus in their head, but it will have never dropped down into their hearts. We see that today. Now, many of the individuals of their respective religious institutions, I hope when the rapture happens, they're going to get saved. But many in those religious institutions, they won't. But we hope it would. Others have their own knowledge of their religious system, and any of these that don't turn to Jesus and get saved are going to get tossed into this giant blender of religion, and it's going to get all mixed together. But such is the case of all religion. And here's why. All of religion is void of the Spirit of God. That's why it is empty. You take the Holy Spirit out of us, what do we have left? Nothing. And that's why we, when, God, when Jesus died and the Holy Spirit came, that's everything. The Spirit of God now dwelling in us, coming upon us for power. The false religions, they don't have that. All they have is work. You know, hey, you're going to heaven today? Well, it depends on how good I'm doing. That's work. 
That's all they got. All the religious systems they have is themselves. Those religious systems need itself to be able to function and create its deceptive mood or deceptive mode of operation. It does. Of course, they don't think it's deceptive, but it needs itself to function. You know, I, we need the Spirit of God. Because if the Spirit of God hasn't entered a man, you're not born again. And Jesus says, if you're not born again, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So we need the Spirit of God. This is what separates, I mean, there's lots of things, but certainly this is one of the things that separate the true church from all of the false churches. Because the true church is, has a, the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. You can f- find religion anywhere and everywhere today. And if a man does not bow down to the one true God, he will deceive a religious system and, uh, and he'll make it his own God because God has created and placed in each one of us to be engaged in worship. And if it's not the true God, it'll be something else. It'll be another religious system or it'll be something that we create. Everybody's going to worship something. Even the atheist, which we made the case for, doesn't exist. But let's just say for the sake of argument, he does. He worships his atheism. It's a religion. I'm thankful that God chose you and me to worship him. And here's what I want you to think about. Except by the grace of God, every single one of us could be out there worshiping idols, bowing down to statues, and kissing rings. You need to know that. If God hadn't chosen us, we would be out there worshiping false idols. So now, does that make us better? No, that makes us responsible. Doesn't, doesn't make us judgmental against the world. No, it should make us loving because we're in, they're out, and we need to be loving and we need to speak the truth to them. It, it, it shouldn't create some holier attitude like I'm in, you're out, too bad. No, they're deceived, just like you and I could be. If Jesus hadn't chosen us from before the foundation of the world, we'd be out. And it's critical for us to keep that in mind. Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So we know the great harlot is a religious institution that is being judged. But what is this that she sits on? Do you see it? It says she sits on the many waters. You know, the great thing about the Bible is many times the Bible becomes its greatest commentary if you read ahead and, well, you already have, so you know exactly where I'm going. Look at verse 15. The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So this harlot is international. And we know this religious Babylonian monster is like that today, incorporated into cultures and governments here and literally around the globe. This intoxicating religious system that influences kings and commoners alike claims to be joined to God, but like a harlot, she is unfaithful in all of her ways all the way through. She has no desire at all to be faithful to the God of the Bible. They just want to claim that they are, but they're not. See that little phrase at the end of verse 4? The inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. This is why ungodly, this ungodly Babylonian monster has been so successful in spreading its lies and deceptions. On the outside, it appears attractive and spiritual and fun. I mean, so much of the, uh, uh, of the old world religions dealt in immorality. Wow, yeah, let's go worship. I mean, that's why the Israelites were getting sucked into those other gods. So much of it dealt with immorality. There's a big portion of it that deals with that still to this day, even though they don't say that. We know parts of it is immoral, parts of it is in bondage, and all of it is wrapped up in lies. And so he carried me away, verse 3, in the spirit, into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemies, having seven heads and ten horns. Obviously, the beast is the one with the seven heads and ten horns. We saw that description in previous chapters. And the harlot is riding on the same beast she was riding on in chapter 13. And, and you'd like to think this picture of her riding on the beast, that maybe she has some type of control over the beast. I mean, I, I mean you got a horse. I mean, who's got control of the horse? You're the horse. You do, because you're the rider. And as you look at this, it looks like she kind of has a little control over the beast. If she does, it's because the beast gave it to her. 
And whatever the beast gives, you know he's going to take it back. So he gives her the authority, yeah, for like the three and a half years markers. And then after three and a half years, he's going to demand all to be worshipped. He's going to crush the harlot, crush the religious system. It's going to happen. We'll see it in this chapter. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. Man, those are colors worn by rulers and the elite and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. So she looks good in her false church. She looks the part as she prostitutes the truth. She's a prosperous, religious, unfaithful system, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. This is the unholy passion of the false religious system as seen in the golden cup full of the fruit of her fornication. This is what she looks like. This is how God sees her. Notice God is not fooled by what she presents. God's not fooled by the harlot's actions and words and activities as he calls her out. There are many fooled today. You and I, we know ultimately at the end when she interacts with the beast, the people are going to be thinking, man, she's the greatest. And they're going to pursue her type of faith. And yet God calls her out. And on her forehead, a name was written. In Rome's day and age, when John wrote this around 95, 96 AD, the harlots wore a headband with their name on it that indicated they were prostitutes. And so God says, look, on her, John sees on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. God's not fooled. When you take in her beauty and her colors and her outward attire, yes, she is enticing, but God sees her nothing more than a harlot. And church, that's how we need to see the things in this world. Yes, they're enticing. Yes, they're beautiful. And they're, they're calling us all the time. Don't be swayed to go worship that. Be swayed to move away from those things and worship the one true God. Now, Mystery Babylon is not the same as the Babylon that's in the news today, like Babylon... Iraq. Babylon in the Bible does not always indicate a geographical city like Babylon. Jerusalem at times when it was extremely immoral was called Babylon in the scriptures. So any group or city or uh, um, system or city characterized by, by false religions at many, many different times is called Babylon in our Bibles. So when you think Babylon, don't think place. Even though it is a real place full of idolatry and pagan worship, blasphemy against God Almighty and the, and the killing of God's saints back when it was uh, online and active, spiritual Babylon, that's what we're looking at here, is a satanic-driven, corrupt religious system that has been passed down through the ages that started when the devil exalted himself against God. Your kids and grandkids need to know that. Hey, so where did this whole thing start? It started when the devil exalted himself against God. And then he came and he deceived Adam and Eve, or deceived Eve. And that's where sin entered the world. Our kids need to know that. Why do bad things happen? Well, the devil exalted himself above God, and then he came and deceived Eve. Sin entered the world, and it, it all fell apart because God gave man choice. God made it perfect. Man made it weakened. The devil tempted. They bit into it, and here we are. This is why bad things happen to good people today. Our kids need to know that. It's one thing that our kids know God is good, but when they go to a school or a professor and the professor is putting them down, they need to be able to say, no, 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 you know, you're mistaken. The, why bad things happen to good people today is because, well, first of all, nobody's good, and secondly, it's because of what happened in the garden. Our kids need to know that. Spiritual Babylon is a satanic-driven, corrupt religious system that is fueling itself with every passing day. And we'll end with the kingdom of the beast, also known as the Antichrist, and the false religious systems that he's seeking to build today. It's going to happen. God's written it. He's telling us all about it. You know, the history of the word Babylon, it comes from a man named Nimrod. You'll find him in Genesis chapter 10, verse 8. You know, after the flood, God told the people to scatter and fill the earth, but they said, no, we don't want to do that. We're not going to scatter and fill the earth. Instead, they chose to build a tower, and the Bible says they wanted to make a name for themselves. I mean, isn't that what religion does today? 
When I, got, when I first gave my life to Christ in December of 83, the cults would come knocking on my door and say, hey, we're the true church. We've got the right name. Follow us. And it's like, what? No, that's what religion wants to do. It wants to make a name for itself. That's why I like I, the fact that I walked into Calvary Chapel. People don't know Calvary Chapel, but they know Jesus there. You probably don't know this, but do you realize that on any given Sunday, there's more people that go to a Calvary Chapel in the United States than any other denomination around the United States? Yeah, why is that? Because we don't push that. We push Jesus. We don't push Calvary Chapel. But religion pushes their religion. The Mormons push the Mormons. Jehovah Witnesses. Hey, we just push the Bible and push Jesus. We don't have to push Calvary Chapel. The Calvary Baptist doesn't have to push Calvary Baptist. Calvary Methodist doesn't have to push Calvary Methodist. No, they push Jesus in the Bible. And as long as Jesus in the Bible is still the thing, we're in good shape. But when people start walking away from that and adding into that, it's part of the system here. Religion today is going to seek to make a name for itself, and, and they're going to build, which is really a united effort to rebel against God. That's what they do in Genesis chapter 11. Hey, go out, scatter, fill the earth. No, we don't want to do that. We want to make our name for ourselves because that's what religion does. They wanted a relationship with God, but they wanted it on their own terms. Boy, have you ever heard that before? I, yeah, I love God. Really? How's he direct your life? Oh, no, no. He, he, I love God, and I get to direct my own life. Yeah, I have a relationship with him, but it's on my terms. No, it don't work that way. You see, the tower was not about God, but about them and what they wanted to do and what they could achieve on their own. That's why biblical Christianity is utterly dependent upon the grace of God, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, and no man can boast. Draw a line, all of religions over here. It's all dependent upon you. There's a very fine line. What are you depending upon? Yourself or God? And the Spirit of God coming in your life, causing you to be born again. You can only choose one. These descendants in Genesis 11, they clung together rather than go out and fill the earth and they built the city with a tower because they wanted to be the ones in charge. Or as the Bible puts it, they wanted to make a name for themselves. You can read all about it in, in Genesis chapter 11 about the Tower of Babel. And while you're there, make sure you teach your kids. That's where all world religions came from. Well, no, world religions came, well, these people were over here and these people were over here and they just started their language. no. It came out of Genesis chapter 11. Hey, God says, look what they're doing. We're going to have to do something. He comes down and he gives them all a different language and they all scatter. See, we don't, have to, we don't need science or man to tell us where the world religions came from. They're in the Bible. We just got to teach it. Our kids and our grandkids need to know this. They're living in a world today that's not telling them that. And parents and grandparents, if you're not telling them that, then the, they're going to believe the lie. That can't be on us. We don't want that on us. The city was called Babel in Genesis 11, but Babylon and Babel are the same exact Hebrew word, and, and Babel and Babylon means confusion by mixing. Man, the devil's really good at that, isn't he? As you look at the religions of the world today, mixing the lie in with the little truth, because every religious system has a little bit of the Bible. Of course, they don't say that. It's just one truth in the Bible to make their whole thing work. Because nobody, nobody believes 100% lie. But 80% lie, 90% lie, and 10% truth, yeah, they all grab something. You know, oh yeah, we have to do good and then good things will happen to us. Well, that kind of sounds like the Bible, but they've twisted it a little bit. And that's what religion does today. It mixes up a little of this and a little of that and sprinkles just enough of the amount of truth to give it some type of credibility. And as you view Genesis 11, you see that the city of Babylon was built and born out of a rebellion against God, built on humanism instead of God's word, and founded by one man named Nimrod, whose name means we will rebel or rebellion. It's quite clear when you read it. It's a good read. Your kids and grandkids should know this. However, the history of this simple tower building event handed down through the ages, it gets really weird once it move away from the biblical account. You see, multiple accounts of this weird story is embraced in multiple religions. 
There's quite a few details they actually all agree upon. This is what they say. They say Nimrod's wife was Semiramis. Okay, first of all, Semiramis doesn't show up in the Bible. So it's just something they're making up. And they say her name was Semiramis, who would later be called the Queen of Heaven. And they say she had a son, and they claimed he was the Savior of the world and called him Tammuz. Now, all of these details that they created come out 2,400 years before Jesus shows up in earthly form. Think about that. Because when I get done with my story, they're going to have the false Messiah all set up 2,400 years for Jesus shows up. I mean, here you have your ancient mystery Babylon religion born, the worship of the mother, the queen of heaven, and her son, Tammuz, the savior of the world. They say that Semiramis claimed that Tammuz was virgin born, that, that the sunbeam shined on her belly and she became impregnated. Yeah, okay. We have too many sunbeams there. And that he was born on December, guess. Oh, you guys are so sharp. And so they began to worship Tammuz's birth and celebrate it on the 25th of December. According to their history, Tammuz was out hunting a wild boar, and that wild boar turned on him and gored him, and he laid there dead many days. I think they said 40 days. I don't remember. I think I saw multiple readings about it. And then he came back to life. That's the thing to remember. He, he was gored, dead, came back to life. Boy, what does that sound like? And they began to celebrate his resurrection from the dead of this young man named Tammuz. And it just so happened that all of this dying and rising from the dead took place in the springtime. And thus they began to celebrate a holiday that they called Ishtar in the springtime, celebrating the resurrection of Tammuz from the dead. You tracking with me so far? Anything sound a little familiar there as the devil's counterfeit? Because an egg is a sort of a symbol of perpetuated life, in their celebration of the resurrection of Tammuz, they would color, oh, you guys got this. The whole idea behind Easter, the bunny rabbit and the eggs and all, goes back not to Christian origins, but to pagan origins, actually to Babylon, that the Roman Catholics brought forward into their corrupted church system. Now, I'm not begging on Christmas or Easter, and I'm not begging on the Catholics for bringing it all forward, or at least part of the Catholic Church. It's history. You can look it up. It's not fabricated. I took it off their website. You know, I'm certainly not calling for an end of Christmas and Easter. No way. And here's why. Those are two of the greatest religious events, because they are religious. I mean, if you didn't know this, Jesus wasn't born on the 25th of December. Please don't let me burst your bubble here, but he wasn't. But they are, they are religious events. And they are two of the greatest religious events each year for you and I as true believers to go fishing for men by declaring the truth. It's the only time people go to church anymore. Those that don't go, it's then. So if we go, oh, we're not celebrating that, we're going to miss two great opportunities to go fishing. We can't do that. Plus, I like decorating my house and putting the cross out there and putting all this Jesus stuff out there. It's a great excuse. One of the things that Babylon exported to the Jews, and some of them continued to carry on in it, was this pagan worship of Semiramis, the mother of God, queen of heaven, and her son, Tammuz. But then the Jews worshipped all kinds of crazy things. The Babylonians followed these pagan practices, and they brought them into the Holy Land. But that's nothing new, because at that point in their life, when the Israel's being carried away, they were into all kinds of idolatry. So, after a brief detour, chapter 17 is all about God bringing and judging a, a religious system that has been, ever, been around ever since the flood of man, when God said, go and scatter. They said, no, we don't want to do that. We want to make a name for ourselves. Really, it's the devil's counterfeit to Jesus Christ as he seeks to copy God's plan of bringing a savior into the world. I mean, it's crazy. When you look at the details, it's like, well, that's it's kind of like what we believe. Yeah, except theirs is made up. But people believe it is truth. Verse six, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus as John sees a counterfeit religious system that killed many believers in, in the one true God. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So what is he marveling at? Why is he marveling here? Is it because he saw her get drunk with the blood of the true church as the religious church is killing the true church? 
Could be. It would definitely tell us that as that she's drunk with that, that she enjoys the killing. Man, yeah, let's get drunk and kill some more. Man, that's sick. But I think more importantly, it matches church history where parts of the religious church murdered parts of the true church with enjoyment. It's documented. <coughs> we just watched God's Outlaw. You can get it at the library. It's, it's back in the 1500s where William Tyndale, uh, a Catholic priest, all of a sudden realizes, nope, there's more to this than what they're telling us. And he wants to bring the English Bible. Uh, no, I don't know if he's a Catholic priest. Or was he just a scholar? What? Well, it doesn't matter. You go look it up. But he, he goes, I want to bring the Latin Bible into English so everybody can understand it. Well, of course, Roman Catholicism at that time did not like that. That was blasphemy. And so he ended up, as soon as, soon as they caught him, they burned him at the stake. But he wasn't the first one. They'd burned many others. But he had populated the English Bible. I mean, he was the first guy. In, in, in a sense, you and I, we hold our Bible that was given to us by the man that was murdered by Roman Catholicism. It's fact. It's not made up. You can go look at it. Now, if you're a student of history, and all of us should be, at least to some degree, you know, I mean, I hated history growing up, but we got to at least have God's history down here. You should grab your Haley's handbook that all of you should own, at least if you've been around Calvary Chapel for a while. Pastor Chuck used to push that all the time. And you should look up the chapter entitled Church History. It chronicles the evil and the little good down through the ages that, that you see that, 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 that all of these are trying to stomp out and destroy of true Christianity. And John is amazed at the fact here that the so-called church was, calling, was killing the true church. So read the history. Parts of the Roman Catholic system was extremely murderous. And like I said, the history of the church has never been a bright, shining light. It's not pretty. Now, this woman here who is red with the blood of the saints, I want, I want to read this one part to you out of, out of Mr. Haley's uh, handbook. The Inquisition by the Catholic Church, especially at the time of the Reformation by Martin Luther, and I looked that up, so that was like the 1550s or so, in it, it's estimated that there were some 900,000 believers who were, who were followers of Jesus Christ who were killed by the Jesuits in their holy war in their endeavor to stamp out Protestantism. Now, you may go, what's Protestantism? That's who we are. We're Protestants. See, the, so it's like, so there was a Roman Catholic Church, that's all it was, and then there was the Protestants or Protestants. Hey, we're, we're not going that way. We're going to protest against that. And when people did, they killed them. Red with the blood of the saints is not an exaggeration. But they're not the only ones. Some people say, oh yeah, it's all them. No, 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 no. They're not the only ones. The Christian church is going to join them like crazy. Calvary Chapel people, Methodist people, Presbyterian people, Lutheran people, Anglican people, Episcopalian people, many of them will join them. They will. Muslims will join them. People who know about Jesus but are not a part of his team, they'll join this ungodly system. They'll work with it hand in hand with the beast in his ungodly coalition and seek to stamp out any who call on the name of Jesus for salvation. That is happening in our day and age, team. They say there are more people killed now than ever in the history of the church right now. Really, pastor? I don't read about that. Yeah, that's because you don't ever read anything but what they tell you. <laughs> Verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. Now, before we move on, please notice, it seems like the woman is no longer driving the beast. Look how this reads. I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast who carries her. Seems the beast is now using the woman. Well, matter of fact, he was always using the woman. He just let her think that she was in charge. See, she was riding in his system. But evil dictators like the beast here have always used and abused people to get what they want. See, he used her, the Antichrist used her to get him into power. And once he's done with her, somewhere around the three and a half year marker, he's going to destroy her. He's going to tear it apart. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel. We already saw that. Will marvel whose names are not 
but this is what blows me away. Who's mar- will marvel at whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the east that was and is not, and yet is. It's crazy, but it's sad. We know this is the same beast from chapter 13 that was mortally wounded and healed, and yet what a sad state of affairs right here. That all those who are not in the book of life, they are in love with this animal that was mortally wounded and healed. Sad. And because they're in love with him, there is no chance of redemption for them. We saw that in chapter 14. The angel goes out and says, anyone that takes the mark of the beast or worships him, you're never going to get in. Sad. But people will go worship when they don't want to worship the truth. We also see the beast is satanic and or under the control of, of the, uh, uh, Satan because it rises out of the bottomless pit. Those who are marveling after this ungodly creature are in big trouble at this point in their life because they are lacking a pre-reservation for heaven. See, you got to be registered before you die or the rapture. If you're not, you're going to go through the tribulation period. There's no guarantee you're going to make it there either, by the way. You may actually worship the beast. See, if you can't live for Jesus now, how do you know you're going to live for him during the tribulation period? See, that's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Verse 9, here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. It's interesting to note that Rome has been known as the city of seven hills. And yes, I see that it says seven mountains and not seven hills. So it may not be Rome. Some would say, oh yeah, it's Rome. But certainly part of the Roman Catholic Church will be part of this last religious system in these last days. But it can't end there. It's, it's not just her. Like I said, it'll be all of the world's religions. They're going to unite into this religious slew, stew, including Protestants and Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and, and uh, uh, Hindus and Harry Krishnas and, you know, all these, the new age, they're all going to unite together and they're only going to be religious Christian by name only. Today, the true church of Jesus needs to be very exclusive, not caving in on what we believe, being motivated truly by love. And you need to know what you believe. You do. In these last days we live in, you need to know. It is critical Because if you don't know, someone's going to come and tell you. And if they're not using their Bible, well, actually, there's those that use their Bible today and twist it like crazy. You just need to know. Today, the true church needs to be aware of what's going on. But in chapter 17 here, the devil's church will be very inclusive, very loving. They're just bigots, man. They won't include us. And they won't, you know, you're not loving. It's like, no, we are. We are loving. But we're not going to embrace this stew of religion. But that, that system is going to embrace all of the world's religions. They're going to make them and be hoping to make them one, and they will. Right off the Catholic website, Pope John Paul II was hoping for this in his day, that all of the religions would unite as one. I'm not bashing. I'm just telling you what, what they're doing. The, the things are in motion. Don't be ignorant. We're living in the last days. We've arrived at the end, team. Just go looking. Hey, don't trust me about anything I said. Just go look it up. It's not hard. Catholic history or Catholic facts or, you know, John Paul II and all the world's religions unite. That's all I typed in. Boom, right to their Catholic website. It wasn't complicated. And again, I'm not bashing. And it's only some Catholics. I have great friends that are Catholics who love Jesus. But the system... There's a big system that's going to get sucked away, along with a big system of Protestantism. And actually, if you remember when we went to the seven churches, the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church represented there, the Catholic Church, Jesus had good things to say to it. The Protestant Church, Jesus said, you have a name there, you're alive, but you're dead. He had nothing good to say there. Just saying, we've been there, we looked at it, we saw it. Verse 10, there are also seven kings... Five have fallen, and there's many choices as to what this means. But this could be a, a reference to the five empires that were before John, which would be Egypt, Assyria, Babylonian, Medo Persia, and Rome. Or no, sorry, in Greece. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is. That's Rome, the world empire of the day when John wrote this. 
And the one has not yet come, which is possibly comes out of the European Union. And when, the, when he comes, he must continue a short time. And the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to be the perdition. So the seventh empire will qu come quickly, but it's going to be taken over by the eighth. That's what it says here. He was and is not and is yet to come as the eighth. But of the seventh, as the angel throws us a bone here and tells us who it is. It's the Antichrist. Verse 12, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who receive no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. Daniel tells us that the ten horns of the beast signify ten nations of the revived Roman Empire, which you and I would look at and say, no, that's the, the revived European Union. Certainly since the rapture has happened at this time, Antichrist and his ten-nation federation will be of one mind. And, you know, we may not be able to identify what those ten nations are today. I mean, you look at the EU. First, there's five. I remember when it hit ten. Man, the church was so excited. Then it went to 12 and 15 and 17. And now it's here. And then it's Brexit. Now it's exit. Now it's enter back in. And, and you know, we, don't, and we may not be able to identify the ten nations. But you know what? We can identify this. We can identify their mission. Look at verse 14. These will make war with the Lamb. Just like we saw last week in chapter 16 at the Battle of Armageddon. And the bottom line in all of this, the only goal, the one objective of the Antichrist is to destroy Jesus Christ and his followers. Anyone, someone say nothing new there? It's always been his plan. Always. It's been that way from the beginning of the devil's fall from heaven. And again, you had better be with the lamb at this point or you're going to be in big trouble. It's too late at this point. These will make war with the lamb and with the lamb will overcome them. Yeah, because see, we're, we're already coming back. The end's over. It's done. You know, Armageddon, it's all happening. It's done. It all happens at the same time. These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. Yeah, like, duh. <laughs> For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings and those who are with him are called, comma, chosen, comma, and faithful. It would be real easy to read this. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. No, that's not how it reads. They're three separate words. Because Jesus is the Lord of lords and King of kings, the Antichrist will just lose, proving the big loser that he was. And then don't miss these commas. And those who are with Jesus are called. I don't know about you, but I am grateful that I am called by God. You should be too. Because you didn't have to be called. I look at those in my school and it's like, well, how come they weren't called but I was? I was the bigger loser problem maker. I don't know, but God called me. And you have to see that in your own life. But then you need to recognize there comes a great responsibility to that calling. Yeah, I'm called, I'm in. God bless you guys. Yeah, have a nice fire. We can't take that approach. We need to be passionate for the souls of lost mankind today like never before. I mean, it, this is it. Some generation is going to usher in the return of Jesus Christ. It's always, it's always been that way. And if you think it's not you, you are on the wrong boat. Those who are with Jesus are called. Man, I'm grateful that I am called. Amen? And those who are with Jesus are faithful. Yeah, we are faithful. We never look to the left or the right. Doesn't say perfect. David sinned like crazy, but he never went after false idols. Never went, and he always owned his sin. He never blamed others for it. But we're faithful because he's faithful. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. If he cannot... If, he, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy. So be diligent to present yourself, approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Exhort them in these things. Hey, we're faithful because he's faithful, team. But we're called because he called us. It's all him. And those who are with Jesus are chosen. Man, how grateful I am for the fact that God has chosen me to be his disciple. Amen? Oh, you're not too excited about being chosen? 
But see, we're not just chosen. We're chosen and called to bear fruit. Jesus puts it all out there. John records his words in, in John chapter 15. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So how are we doing here? How, how, how are we doing? That you should go and bear fruit and that your shoot, fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give you. So how are we doing here? See, a tree doesn't produce fruit for itself. No, that'd be like you know, impossible. Here, it's going to grow peaches. And then at, at nighttime it goes. Hey, where'd they go? Oh, the squirrels got them. That, I mean, that's what happened. But Jesus chose us to go and bear fruit. How are we doing there? What fruit do you have to look at in the last year? I hope we all know that God has given you a gift, a spiritual gift. God has given it to you, and he wants you to use it for his glory. Well, what is it, Pastor? I, I don't know. Come and talk to me. I'm sure we can figure it out. But to sit there and go, I don't know what it is, and just stay in that way, you can't stay that way. He, 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 that's what it says. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. That you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. You know, some might think, well, I don't think that's fair that God chooses those who are going to spend eternity with him. Oh, come on, really? We all made choices, right? We've all made many choices in life. Choices of marriage, choices of career, choices of kids or no kids. I mean, choices of what school I'm going to go to in college. I mean, was that fair? Of course it was. Well, why can't God choose? I mean, you want God just to say, okay, I'm going to take you and you're going to marry this person. No, that's what the, Mormon, the Moonies do. You know, I don't know if Reverend Moon's still alive, but the guys would be over here, girls would be over here, and he'd, he'd go, married. Hey, people, I know some. 5,000 mass wedding, 5,000 people one time. It's crazy what people do when they move away from the truth. We all like making choices. And each one of us gets to decide where we spend any eternity as God calls us. You get a choice to respond to the call or not. You could choose to spend eternity with God in the kingdom of God, by far the best choice, or you can choose to rebel against God and find your final destiny in Gehenna, which Jesus says is a place that God prepared for the devil and his fallen angels. The Gehenna was built before man fall. Gehenna was built before man fall and after the devil fell. Gehenna was never built for mankind. That was never God's idea. But if you choose to fall and stay out, that's where you'll end up. It's your choice. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And when you turn to and decide to follow after Jesus, you will discover that he has chosen you from before the foundation of the world was laid to go and bear much fruit. However, if you don't turn, you're probably not chosen. Well, that's not fair. Well, then turn to Jesus, and you'll find out you're chosen. I don't want to. Well, you're probably not chosen. Well, that's not fair. Turn to Jesus. And then it just goes on and on and on. But church, we know that. We should be able to communicate that. Well, I guess you're not chosen. Wait. Well, turn to Jesus. Find out you were. It's not complicated. Just using Jesus' words. Verse 15. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the, where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and tongues, and the ten horns which you saw in the beast, these will hate the harlot and make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Once the beast has used the false religious system to gain his power, probably, like I said, about the three and a half year marker, he will turn against the harlot and he will demand everyone worship him. He's going to want all the worship to, to himself. If you rebel, look at this graphic picture, if you don't worship the beast. He will make the harlot desolate and naked. He will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Man, that's satanic. If you're going to play with the devil's stuff, look out, you're going to get burned. He, he, he doesn't play fair. He uses. And it's the same way though sin works in our lives today. They're harmless for a season, but in time it will turn against you and seek to devour you and burn you with fire. For proof of that, the wages of sin is it's death. And, I, and you know, I, know, I know that, you know, hey, would you like to turn to Jesus? You know, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God to keep you away. You know, the way to sin is death. But listen, this is what I thought about last night. Actually, actually it's quite early this morning. The wages of sin is not peace. When you're sinning, there's no peace there. 
The wages of sin is not joy. When you, when you sin, there's no joy there. When, when, when the wages of, of sin, there's no love there. Oh, yeah, you may be biting into a piece of counterfeit fruit, but there's, no, no, the wages of sin is always death. That's what it pays out at the end, but it also pays out what, when we're doing it. We're killing our relationship with Jesus. Verse 17, for God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his purpose. Please underline that. God has put it into their, their hearts to fulfill his purpose. Who's, who's driving this whole thing? Oh, please, with some authority. Who's driving this whole thing? Hey, listen, for God. Okay, open book test. Who's driving this thing? Oh, you guys are so sharp right here. For God has put it into their hearts, this antichrist evil system, to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. He just used what they were doing to fulfill his purposes. I hope you can see behind the scenes here that God is using these godless men to bring his judgment on the religions of the world. I hope we can see that. God will use the beast to destroy the false religious system, and then in turn, he'll give the world what they're craving for, a godless dictator. Now, listen, if God is in control of these godless men, then is it not absolutely true that when you find yourself in these crazy situations that seem out of control in your life, that God's still in control? Is he not? Of course he is. That's why the Bible says don't worry. We got to understand that God is using those things that come into our lives to fulfill his purposes in your life to make you more like Jesus. We got to understand that. It doesn't matter what the situation is. Whether they're spirits, whether spouses or parents or kids or employers or teachers or neighbors, it doesn't matter what they are. Don't fight against them. Besides that, as soon as you do, you're deceived because the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against things we can see. So a spouse, as soon as you fight against your spouse, you're both deceived. We're called to love because love covers over a multitude of sins. Sure, you can talk about it, but you don't have to fight against it. Fight about it. You and I, we need to be the salt and the light to them. We need to represent Jesus to this world when, it's all, when this world's all jacked up and all these things are happening to us and we need to say, oh, it's cool. What? Are you crazy? How can it be cool? Look what's happening to you, the world would say. Oh, no, because Jesus is in control of my life. What? And then you better be able to deliver the goods. You need to tell them how. We've got to let our light shine, team. We need to witness with our life, and we need to testify with our words today. You need them both. You can't do one without the other. And the woman whom you saw, verse 18, is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Man, you see, see this here? This is crazy. The woman is reigning over the kings of the earth. It's a city. What's reigning over your life? The woman who you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. What's, what's ruling over your life? I don't know. I think you just have to look back last, last month, last year. What's ruling over your life? In John's day, the great city, no doubt, was Rome, and she was reigning over the kings of the earth at that time before she was, before she was destroyed. Same at the end of the age. It'll be that same way. And in God's timeline, he uses the beast to destroy the great city of religious Babylon from reigning over mankind ever again. The religious harlot, thinking she was in control, comes to that same fate of those she used to kill. In a sense, God gives her what she wanted. She was out killing, so God says, that's what you want, I'll give you that. You sow that, you're going to reap that. And she does. God takes her out. This religious melting pot today is in full motion. And parents and grandparents, we need to make sure that our kids will stand strong in a secular school system. They need to know why they can trust their Bibles. Because it's the Holy Bible. No, not a good enough answer. How did it come to be? How many thousands of manuscripts are there? Well, that's carpet. No, those are carpet squares. Well, how do you know that? Because I was a contractor. Well, how else do you know that? I, Google would probably tell me it's a carpet square. I can get, you know, maybe my mom said, hey, don't forget to clean the carpet squares. 
So I got three or four pieces of information that tell me that's a carpet square. Hey, there's thousands upon thousands of manuscripts that testify that this is God's word that they've collected. Thousands. There's 127 complete Bibles. They're, they're, they're copies, but they're complete. And there's 25,000 pieces. We need to know this. Our kids need to know this. Hey, well, how can you trust that? Well, let me tell you, our kids, you know, it's, you know, 66 different books, 40 different, we need to know these things. What we do, pastor, no, but do your kids? Is it ingrained in them? Do your grandkids know this? They need to know they can trust the Holy Bible. They need to be solid in their understanding of creation and heaven and hell. They need to know it. They need to be able to articulate it. That, if they can articulate it out, that's when you know they know it. They need to know how original sin entered the world and how that same sin was taken out by Jesus Christ. They need to be able to articulate that. Because if they can't speak it to you now when they're in school, they're not going to be able to speak it when the teacher's you know, saying, ah, oh. and, they, and they raise their hand and say, well, no, because Jesus. And they say, well, Jesus, why? And they can't answer. They've got to know these things because of this religious system that's, that is in, in place. They need to know about the worldwide flood and the destruction of the dinosaurs. They need to know that. They need to understand that there are no fossils or dead dinosaurs until after the flood because the wages of sin is death. So nothing died prior to Adam and Eve eating of the fruit. So that was 6,000 years ago. We don't have to marry in millions of years of old earth or anything or all their bogus junk. Why? Because nothing had died. God had made everything what? Perfect. Man, it's good. Our kids need to know these things. Both public school and public and private college, no place is safe anymore. And we've got to teach our kids to hold on to the fundamental truth that declares that we as followers of Jesus Christ, we are exclusive in our beliefs, but we are inclusive hoping that all would come to the same faith in Christ that we have. It's critical. We need to be loving and welcoming and not judging. And they'll know we are Christians by our judgmental attitude. <laughs> Happens. Get on Facebook. If you haven't noticed, I took myself off. Sorry, it causes me to stumble. Christians are so judgmental. Well, I work with this guy and he is so blah, blah. Yeah, but he's blind, man. He ain't a believer. He was just like you before you got saved. I don't understand why we expect the world to live like us when they can't see the truth. It's impossible. That's why we should never be judgmental. We should be loving towards them. Just as someone was loving towards you when you were lost. Just because they're called the church today doesn't mean anything today. I had a lot of quotes from a lot of different guys I was going to read. Then I thought, no, nah, I'm not going to be known as the guy that begs on all these guys that are out pushing their stuff. These are very popular pastors today that are pushing some really crazy stuff. Again, it's all out there. You know, I didn't make it up. I just went looking for it. The godless church has always down through time persecuted the true church. God's word is showing us that there's this false religious system and we can see it is in full motion. So let me ask you. Do you have a present-day great city ruling over you? Or are you a citizen of a better city, one that you are waiting for today, and you live life that way? You're a missionary. You're an alien. You're an ambassador. You realize this is not your home. And you have a deep concern and passion for the souls of people who are going to be left behind and get sucked into this godless system. And thus you live your life that way. You have a loose touch with the things of the world. You, you realize whatever you leave behind, the Antichrist is going to suck in his, his machine. So you send it ahead into heaven and it awaits you there. Sadly, I don't know if you know this, but 90% of the people give all the time and money in a church. Or sorry, 10% of the people give 90% of all the money and time in a church. 10%. I, I think Calvary Chapel is a little higher. Maybe we're 20. But still, 20% of the people... Give everything and do everything. Man, I, I can't be that way here. 
Because we're going to get sucked into some system. We need to be involved. We need to be active. We need to be in the game. Don't be caught off guard, team. We don't want to be the, 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 the 90% that does nothing. It's coming. Don't let any worldly thing rule over you. And please, be watching for the coming King of Kings. Because it could happen tonight. You could go home tonight and the rapture could happen tomorrow and we'd see you. Wow, hey, one day. But it's going to happen. Or you're going to go home today. You, nobody knows the day or the hour. But we need to be ready. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. And Lord, as we see this monster 